Good morning. Blessing to be here this morning. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we come before you this morning, and we thank you for your blessings. Thank you that you move in our life, and that you've given us your word. pray you just guide my speech this morning. May it be an encouragement and a blessing. In Jesus' name, amen. So this morning, I have a burden I'd like to talk about. I, um, I ended up with... Uh, a lot of materials, so I'm going to be moving very quickly, so please sit up and pay attention. Have your Bibles ready. I, I did set my alarm, so I'll try not to go over time. When it rings, I'll try to shut it down. So this morning, I'd like to talk about a tool that God has given us. This tool, Satan has diverted the purpose of it. He hates when the people of God use this tool. According to the scriptures, this tool, if used in a godly way, the scriptures actually say it will break the bands of wickedness. If you are burdened this morning, this tool will set you free. If you're struggling physically, this tool, the scriptures say, will bring health to your body. If using this tool in the correct way, the scriptures say, the glory of God will rest upon you. If there is spiritual darkness in your life this morning, if you use this tool, the Bible says it will be turned to light. When using this tool, if you cry out to God, it's a guarantee, the Bible says, that He will answer. This tool, used in the correct way, will move God to action. And it's a guarantee. This tool will move God to action. This tool over the history of the world has, as we'll see in scripture, has moved God to change the course of history for whole nations. If you're struggling in your life this morning, if you feel that you just can't quite get in your spiritual walk where you want to go with that deep, I want to say that deep agape relationship with God, if you use this tool, it will get you there. If you want to know what this tool is, turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. Turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. I'm going to read two verses, or three verses. Verse 16 says, Moreover, when ye fast, be not as the hypocrites of a sad countenance, for they disfigure their faces, that they may appear unto men to fast. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But thou, when thou fastest, anoint thy head and wash thy face, that thou appear not unto men to fast, but unto thy Father, which is in secret, and thy Father, which seeth thee in secret, shall reward thee openly. So, if you haven't caught on by now, the tool is fasting. So, why fasting? Fasting is a is a, a thing that is actually used by all nations, all people groups, and all most religions. You know, we have uh, Buddhists, they fast. Muslims fast. Hindus fast. Um, Judaism, they fast. Um, Christians fast, and the list can go on. This is used by, by many religions. And I believe it's a, it's a tool that God has given us that the church of, the modern day church, I believe, has done away 
with fasting as a lifestyle. Has done away with fasting as a lifestyle. And, you know, Satan absolutely hates when we use this tool, when we fast and pray. Because when a child of God is fasting and praying, I believe it scares Satan. He just quivers when he sees a child of God fasting and in prayer. Because he can do nothing about it. And Satan knows that this tool will move God to action, as we'll see from multiple examples in scriptures. So what Satan has done, I believe, is he has diverted this tool and he has gotten people for one, I believe, not to fast. And for two, to fast in the wrong ways, to fast in pride, as we'll see. So let's look at these two verses quickly. What are some things that we could learn from this passage here? So number one, if you're taking notes, you could write this down. Fasting is a command, okay? It's not a suggestion. Jesus is not Uh, presenting this as a suggestion. It's a command. It says, moreover, when ye fast. All right? So this this is not an option for a Christian. Fasting is a command. Now, it's very interesting. I want you to look. Actually, look at verse 17 and read with, uh, you just read along. It says, but thou, when thou fastest, right? You see that? But thou, when thou fastest. Now, I want you to back up to verse 6. Okay? Back up to verse 6. Now, let's read that. But thou, when thou prayest. Okay? Same exact wording. You see that? You with me? See that? When thou prayest, when thou fastest. And this is how our culture has twisted this thing of fasting. Because if uh, you would come up to me and say, so, brother, when's the last time you fasted and prayed? And I'd say, well, brother, it was, it was three months ago when I was struggling and I fasted and prayed and God came through and it's been going great. And my response, that's great, brother. You're doing great. You know, keep it up. That's wonderful. But what if you would come up to me or, or vice versa and you would say, so brother, when is the last time you spent some prayer in, some prayer on your knees to God? And I said, well, brother, it was about three months ago when I was struggling and I prayed and, and it worked great and, and God came through and it's been going great. And you'd be like, brother, something's wrong, right? It's just that doesn't go with us, right? Something's wrong with your spiritual walk. So that is, I believe, is a way that, that Satan has, has really tried hard to stamp out this tool of fasting. <clears throat> fasting, I believe, has, has really been set aside by the, the modern church. And I don't, when I say modern church, I just mean kind of, you know, Christianity as a whole here in America. But Jesus, I believe, wants us to have a lifestyle of fasting. I want to talk more about that later. So... What are a few more lessons from Matthew 6 here we could learn? Jesus wants us to fast with a willing heart. And when we fast, we need to have a heart of humility. I'm going to read Psalm 35, 13. Um, I'll just read it here. It says, But as for me, when they were sick, this is David talking, my clothing was sackcloth. He said, I humbled my soul with fasting, and my prayer returned unto my own bosom. You know, the Bible also talks about humbling ourselves. It says, humble yourselves in the sight of God. And that fasting, I believe, is one way that we can do that. It says, David said, I humbled my soul with fasting. You know, if fasting does not bring us to our knees in humility, I want to say we're fasting Satan's way. Um, 
the Pharisees, you know, for the Pharisees, this and the hypocrites, it says here, this kind of became a status symbol. You know, the Pharisees, I believe, would have, you know, set days in which they would, they would do their fasting. And it says, you know, they did all this stuff. So, you know, they go to town. Oh, brother, you know, you're fasting today, aren't you? I can tell, you know. And, and then if you were really good, you know, it was the second day, too. They'd go out in the market. Oh, you're fasting again? But, man, you must be really, you're, you're really up there, you know. And in Luke 18, we actually have that, 18, 12, the prayer with the Pharisee and the publican. What did he say? He said, I fast twice in the week, right? So this kind of became came a, a, a status symbol. And Jesus saying, no, that's not. See, Satan had perverted the way they were fasting. So it was no effect, you know. Maybe losing weight would be one effect you would have from that. So, why fasting? Why, why is it that fasting moves God? And like I said, we're going we're gonna to look at multiple examples of why fasting moves God to action. So, the key point here I want to bring out and talk about next is this. You can write this down. Physical obedience moves God to action. Physical obedience moves God to action. I'd like you to turn to Exodus 17 for a beautiful example of this. Let's turn to Exodus chapter 17. This is, I'm going to read one verse or maybe two. This is a, um, the story of when they were fighting with um, Amalek. And in verse uh, 10, we'll start in verse 10, Exodus 17, 10. So Joshua did as Moses said, had said unto him and fought with Amalek and took Moses, Aaron, and Hur and went up to the top of the hill. Verse 11, and it came to pass when Moses held up his hand that Israel prevailed, and when he let down his hand, Amalek prevailed. So how weird is that? Moses was holding the rod up. Remember Aaron and Hur were holding his hands up. And when physically he would hold up the rod, Israel would prevail. And when he let it down, Amalek would prevail. And this is a beautiful example of how physical, physical obedience moved into the spiritual world. It's how physical obedience will move God to action. And I mean, we could preach a whole devotion on just that. All the examples we go to, you know, in Judges 7, when Gideon, we won't turn there, but Gideon and his 300 men, what'd they do? They walked in obedience and they, um, they went and fought a war, right? You're going to go fight a war? First thing I would think of is a pot, right? <laughs> you know, you don't think of a pot and, and a torch, but that's what they did. They took a pot and a torch, remember? And they marched down into the camp and, they, and, and God worked. When they obeyed him. Another one would be um, marching around Jericho, right? March around the city, right? Makes total sense. We're going to march around the city and the walls are going to fall over. Another a beautiful example about how walking in physical obedience will move God to action. And, and we could just go on. How about anointing with oil? You know, whoever would have thought that pouring oil on somebody's head would bring healing. But it does, brothers. This is how physical obedience moves God. Uh, baptism, you know, baptism, walking in physical obedience of baptism will move God in your life. And fasting, I believe fasting, if we fast, it will move God. And we could just go on and on and on about that. So I'd like to go through some examples in the Old Testament um, about how fasting moved 
God. And you actually turn over to Exodus 34. Exodus 34, verse 28. Now, I wrote this one down because it had a cross-reference from when Jesus was fasting. So I'm not really sure, you know, it doesn't really say Moses actually planned to fast. Um, it doesn't really say he was going up on the mountain but to, to fast for that purpose. But whatever the case, here in verse 28, it says, He was there with the Lord 40 days and 40 nights, and he neither did eat bread nor drink water. And he wrote upon the tables of the word of the covenant, the Ten Commandments. So whether he planned to or not, he fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. And I believe this was like a supernatural power going on here, you know, 40 days without any water. And if we had time, we could read down and see what happens. I think we'll just do that. Tom, let's read verse uh, 29. And it came to pass when Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tables of the testimony in Moses' hand, when he came down from the mount, that Moses wist not that his skin and his face shone while he talked with him. I call that the glory of God being upon you and the power of God there. It says it was so powerful they couldn't even look at him, right? That's what we want, the glory of God in our life. That's, like, that, that's just like a mind-boggling um, experience there that, that the glory of God was upon him to the point people couldn't even look at him what was he doing 40 days and 40 nights he was fasting um, I'm just going to read 2 Samuel 12 16 David understood this thing of fasting this is when his child was dying um, the child he had with Uriah's wife it says David therefore besought God for the child and David fasted and lay all night upon the earth. David understood the power of fasting. It says he fasted. Um, I want you to turn in your Bibles to Jonah chapter 3. Jonah chapter 3. This is a, um, an amazing account um, of fasting and how it moved God to action. I'm going to start in verse 4. And we kind of know the, the backdrop of this story, I believe. In Jonah chapter 3, verse 4. All right. And Jonah began to enter into the city a day's journey, and he cried and said, You have 40 days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. I was listening to a sermon, and the guy said this was the shortest sermon ever preached. It was one sentence. He went to the city and preached one sentence. 40 days, and you're getting wiped out. And I want you to look, just look at this and see the first response of the people of Nineveh. Now, we have to remember, Nineveh was not a Jewish city. Nineveh was not God's people that had fallen away. Nineveh was a city full of pagan sinners. The king was a pagan king. They had nothing to do with, with the Israelites. This was a pagan nation. And what was the first thing they turned to when Jonah preached? Listen to this. Number one, it says in verse five, so the people of Nineveh believed God. Okay, that's the first one. They believed God. What's the second thing they turned to? Second thing, it says in verse five, and proclaimed a fast. All right, so completely pagan nation believes God. The first thing they do after that is proclaim a fast. And we're going to see here how God moved in this city. 
It says, they proclaimed a fast and put on sackcloth and from the greatest them, even to the least. And it even gets better here. The king got involved. Remember, a pagan, evil king. And the word came unto the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne. He laid his robe from him and covered him with sackcloth and satin ashes. And he caused it to be proclaimed and published throughout Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, saying, Let neither man nor beast or herd or flock taste anything. Let them not feed nor drink water. But let every man and beast be covered with sackcloth and cry mightily unto God. Yea, let them turn every man from his evil way and from the violence that is in their hand. All right, so this is... This is an intense fast. Three days, no food and no water. Okay, you're going to be about dead by the end of this three days. They were desperate for God. They were going to die anyway, right? And so they proclaimed this fast. First thing they turned to was fasting and repentance. And if we look at, um, if we look at um, verse 10, let's read verse 10. And God saw their work, that they turned from their evil way, and God repented of the evil that he said and that he would do unto them, and he did it not. Okay, this changed the whole course of history for this nation through fasting and repentance. And brothers, if God moves with fasting and repentance of an evil pagan nation, how much more is he going to move in our lives as children of God? I just love that story. I'll read Psalm 69, um, verse 10. It says, this is David again. And when I wept and chastened my soul with fasting. Uh, Psalm 109, verse 24, it says, My knees were weak through fasting, and my flesh faileth of fatness. So that looked like an intense fast. He was fasting so much that his weak, uh, knees were weak through fasting. You know, David understood, I believe, the power that God will move through your life with fasting. <clears throat> okay, the next example, I believe we um, probably have some time to slip this one in, um, of, of fasting that moved God was the book of Esther. Let's, um, let's turn over to, um, to Esther chapter 3. I'm not going to spend a lot of time here. We kind of know, I believe we all know the story of Esther. In Esther 3.6, we see that Haman sought to destroy all the Jews in the kingdom. And the Persian Empire was huge, okay? The Persian Empire at the time of Queen Esther was all the way from Egypt to India. So if you kind of imagine your map there, all the way across the Middle East there. I mean, this was huge. Um, and he was going to plot to kill all the Jews. And we're going to just read Esther. I think we'll go to Esther 4.16. Let's read that verse. Esther 4, verse 16, it says, this is uh, Esther and, and Mordecai talking. She said, Go, gather together all the Jews that are present in Shushan and fast, ye for me, and neither eat nor drink. Okay, this is another intense fast. No eating nor drinking. All right, night or day. For three days, night or day. I also and my maidens will fast likewise. So I will go unto the king which is not according to the law. And if I perish, I perish. Another, another example of desperate people for God to move. You know, they were going to die no matter what, right? So we're going to fast 
No food, no water. Three days. All right? And we're going to pray. This is like something that was totally illegal, right? You don't just walk in to the king. But, you know, I believe they had faith. I believe they had faith that God would move. And we won't read all that, but, you know, God moved. God moved with their fasting and prayer. And that's another example of how fasting really changed the whole course of history for a nation there, the, the, the Jews there in the Persian Empire. Um, we should go to Isaiah 58, but I don't think we will. I'll do that at the end if we have time, but that is a beautiful chapter of, that's actually where I got um, what, how I started the, the opening here. All those things actually come from Isaiah 58. But I think we'll go ahead and go to uh, Matthew. Um, yeah, don't turn there. Matthew 4, verse 2. Uh, talks about when Jesus started his ministry. And what did he start his ministry with? He started with fasting. And, you know, if, if Jesus started his ministry with fasting... How much more should we be fasting, you know? Um, let's turn to, to Mark 9. This is probably my, my, favorite, my favorite story here with, with fasting. Mark chapter 9. This just, this just shows the power of, of fasting and prayer. Yeah, Mark 9. I think we'll start in verse 17. And one of the multitude answered and said, Master, we have brought unto thee my son, which hath a dumb spirit. And whithersoever he taketh him, wheresoever we take him, he teareth him, and he foameth, and gnasheth his teeth, and pineth away. And I spake unto the disciples that they should cast him out. And they couldn't, could not. And he answered him and said, O faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer you? Bring him unto me. And they brought him unto him. And when he saw him straightway, the spirit tear him. And he fell down on the ground and wallowed foaming. I want you to just imagine you're standing right there watching this come down. And this boy is literally like rolling around on the dust. And I'm sure there's, you know, heretical screams coming out of his mouth and he's foaming. And I find it very interesting. What did Jesus do? He just kind of made some small talk with the dad why this was happening. And he asked the father, so just imagine this boy down here and he just looks at dad, so how long has this been going on, right? And he said, of a child. And then we see the dad here, he's just he almost like starts begging Jesus again. He says, Oft times he cast him into the fire and into the water to destroy him. But if thou canst do anything, have compassion and help us. And again, Jesus, you know, just like totally ignoring this boy, just looks at the dad again. And Jesus said to him, If thou canst believe, all things are possible to him that believeth. And straightway the father again, you know, cried out and said with tears this time, Lord, I believe, help thou my unbelief. And when Jesus saw the people running together, what did he do? He rebuked the foul spirit, saying unto him, Thou dumb and deaf spirit, I charge thee, come out of him and enter no more into him. And said the spirit cried and rent sore and came out of him. And he was one dead, insomuch that many said he is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up and arose. 
I'm going to stop right there just for a minute. This is this this is just send chills down. This is amazing. The power of God here working. And I want you to just think for a minute with me. All through the Gospels, when Jesus did miracles, when Jesus healed people, when Jesus delivered people from evil spirits, demons, um, I want to be careful the way I say this, but I want you to just try to think with me for a minute. Not once do we ever see Jesus laying hands on somebody and saying, we got to just pray for him that God would you know, heal him. We got to just, we got to just pray. And, and we don't ever see Jesus do it, right? I'm not saying that's wrong. I got to be careful here. Please don't get me wrong. That's not wrong. That's right. But just if you look at Jesus's miracle, maybe for beside the, the, when he raised Lazarus, he prayed to his father, it actually records that. But never do we see Jesus say, oh, come on, disciples, we got to lay hands on him and pray. That's good. What I'm trying to say is I want you to just look at Jesus' life through the four Gospels. What did Jesus do whenever he came up on a situation? He asked, do you have faith? And he said, be it unto you. Jesus would say, when that centurion came up and said, please heal my child, he just said, be it unto you. you know? Or he said, leave him. Or, you know, when he cast a demon out, or he would say, you know, just, just you know, Thy faith has saved thee, or go wash in the pool, right? Okay, I want to be careful here, but you're with me. Amen. You hear that? So what gave Jesus that power just to say, be it unto thee? I want you to imagine what Jesus would do if, if Jesus did what I did, if this came to me. What if this father came into our service right now and said, I need help? What would I do? Imagine Jesus walking up on the scene and saying, Whoa, his disciples saying, God, Jesus, we don't know what to do. This is bad. We couldn't do it. And Jesus said, whoa, yeah, I wasn't ready for this one. <laughs> what are we going to do? And I just imagine him saying, you know, disciples, okay, we're, we're going to fast. We need to fast. on. Okay, you know, stop cooking supper. We're going to fast. We're going to pray. We're going to lay hands on him. We're going to pray. And we're going to pray all night if we need to, right, until this man is delivered. No, Jesus just said, come out of him. And it was done. You know, what gave Jesus that power just to walk up and say, be it unto thee? Let's read the next few verses. And his disciples, when he was come into the house, his disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we do this, Jesus? Why couldn't we do that? And he said to them, this kind can come forth by nothing but by prayer and fasting. Why I, I said all that and gave you those examples is because I want us to realize that Jesus lived a lifestyle of prayer and fasting. Prayer and fasting in the life of Jesus was probably as real to him and as much as part of his life to him as it is for us to eat supper. And Jesus lived a life so close to his father and he prayed and fasted, I believe, so much that he was so close to God. When these situations arrived, God could just move through him. And he could say, leave him. And it would leave him. Jesus offers that same power in our lives. I'm not going to say we're going to go around healing. I'm not saying we're going to go around doing that. I'm not going to say we should go around looking. That's a whole other sermon in itself. If you read... Um, 
the Apostle Paul, when he cast out the, uh, the demon there in Acts, it actually took him three days to get to that point. It's almost like Paul was trying to get away from the opportunity to cast out the demon until it got to the point where God moved. It is never you. It is God. Never go looking to do a miracle. Never go looking to cast out a demon because that is selfish and that is the way Satan wants us to think. Okay? So I want to be careful here, but I want to tell you that Jesus offers us that same relationship with the Father that he had. And it comes through a lifestyle of prayer and fasting. And when we live that lifestyle, when prayer and fasting become so a part of our life, so apart, and we have that, you know, fasting should be as normal to us, so a part of our life as going to church Sunday morning. And when we are living that lifestyle of prayer and fasting and have that relationship with God, then God can move. When a situation comes up, remember, it's all God. When a situation comes up and God needs his servant to move, he needs somebody to work through. When you're living that lifestyle, you're ready. And you won't, even, you won't even be looking for it when God moves, but he will. And when God moves, look out, because nobody's stopping him. But we need to live that lifestyle. If we're not living that lifestyle, God can't use us. You know, we want the glory of God to be upon us, just like Moses. And I believe it comes through walking in obedience. Walking in obedience. But it's hard. It is. It's really hard. Mark 14, 38. I'll just read it. Jesus is talking. He said, Watch ye and pray, lest ye enter into temptation. The spirit is truly ready, but the flesh is weak. It's hard, right? Nobody likes to go without food. Nobody likes to, to voluntarily fast. But you know what? Everything, I'll tell you what, everything in our American culture will go directly against that. We live in a very indulgent nation. Indulgent in food, indulgent in entertainment, indulgent in, in feeding our flesh. And I believe it's even harder living in this nation to die to the flesh. But Jesus asked us as his disciples to die to our flesh and live a sacrificial life. And I think we, we just discussed that in uh, Bible study and, and dying to our flesh and, and Peter there. And so it, it is hard, but remember, it's a command. Jesus wants us to do it. And, and I just want to tell you, you know, when you do it, it'll be hard. Right in the moment, it'll be hard. And a lot of times you won't feel God move in your life. Usually the next day is when, when you really feel God moving. And so it can be very hard, but I believe it's an important, um, we need to, it's a command of God, just like praying. Fasting should be just as much of our life, part of our life as praying. No, I'm not saying that we'll, we'll probably pray more often than we'll fast, but, but I think you, you guys understand what I'm saying. So we have a, a few minutes here. Let's turn to um, just a couple passages in Acts, Acts uh, chapter 10. I won't spend a lot of time here, but I just want thought I'd read some examples of, of how they use fasting in the early church. <clears throat> Acts chapter 10, verse 30. 
I won't read, um, just read one verse here. <clears throat> and we have Cornelius here. Cornelius said, four days ago, I was fasting until this hour. Key point, four days ago. All right, that's pretty good. That's not four months ago. He's doing pretty good. And at the ninth hour, I prayed in my house, and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing. Okay, so here we see Cornelius was fasting. What happened? God moved an angel. He saw an angel. That's the power of God there. Okay, uh, Acts 13, uh, verse 2. Um, we see this is kind of the, the beginnings of the, the early church, and they're going out. And what they do? And they ministered to the Lord and fasted. And it says right after that, what happened when they fasted? The Holy Spirit said, okay, so we have God speaking, separate me and Barnabas and Saul for the work whereunto I have called them. And when they had fasted and prayed and laid hands on them, they sent them away. So here we have fasting for just logistics of who's going to go out and preach, right? And God moved. God told them. All right. Um, Acts 14, when they were having an ordination on ordaining elders. Acts 14, verse 23. What do we see them doing again? And when they had ordained them elders in every church, all right, the church is growing, the church is flourishing, where they need elders, they said, and, um, and they prayed with fasting and commended them to the Lord on whom they had believed. So here we see prayer and fasting again in the early church. So, it is, it is a way to move God to action. I think we have um, one minute here. We're going we're gonna to turn back to Isaiah and just read these verses in closing. They're just, just beautiful, verses of, um, beautiful verses of promise in Isaiah 58. So, turn to Isaiah 58. It's actually the words of, of God. And I'm sure we could talk a lot about this chapter, but I'm just going to kind of cut in here at verse, um, verse 6. Verse 6, it says, my alarm's going off. Okay, I'll read this and we'll, we'll be done. Verse 6, it says, is not this the fast? Okay, here we have fasting that I have chosen. All right, it says to loose the bands of wickedness to undo heavy burdens, to let the oppressed go free, that ye break every yoke? Is this not to deal thy bread to the hungry, that thou bringest the poor that are cast out into thy house, when thou seest the naked, that thou coverest him, and that thou hide not thyself from thine own flesh? Then shalt thou break forth as the morning, and thine health shall spring forth speedily, and thy righteousness shall go before thee. And the glory of the Lord shall be thy reward. Then shall thou call, and the Lord shall answer, and shall cry. And he shall say, Here am I, for I have taken away from the midst of thee the yoke, and put forth the finger, and speak in vanity. If thou draw out thy soul to the hungry, and satisfy the afflicted soul, then thou shalt rise up in obscurity, and the darkness shall be as the noonday. And the Lord shall guide thee continually. All right? We want the Lord's guiding continually. And satisfy thy soul in the drought. And make fat thy bones. And thou shalt be like a watered garden. And like a spring of water. Whose waters 
fail not. They shall, and they that shall be of thee shall build the old waste places. Thou shalt raise up the foundations of many generations. Thou shalt be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of paths to dwell in. So, Lord, bless you and keep you. And remember that through fasting, we'll move God in ways you never thought possible. Thank you.